As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. But, for what, 15 out of 8, or smart, 7, 8, 15 for 23. My math right? Eight, seven, and eight. Eight, seven, and eight. Yeah, that's 23, right? Yeah. 15 for 23 from those guys. Yeah, you know, so. Be fine. Tim on the right. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo DeKeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Partnow. Hello and welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. Seth, I think the show's going to come out on Thursday, but I'm Dave DeFore. That person clapping is Mo DeKeel. Seth Partnow's here. That means it's nerd. She I'm pissed. Seth didn't get the clap. He's the one that always claps. But I did it. He didn't even, he didn't even acknowledge it. I, so, uh, this was a clap before I started talking. Uh, yeah, that's that, fair. That's, well, I usually wait for him to do it. I want to point something out, by the way. Speaking of things that always happen, I noticed that last week Dave did not pause between Nerder and She Wrote. And so I was glad to have it back today. A racy episode. Yeah, I, was, I came in too hot last week, man. I was too fired up. Uh, I knew Jade was going to put the dropkick Murphys on there. And, um, yeah, the finals, guys, pretty fun. Yeah, pretty, it, it, it has been a very fun finals, I think. I've enjoyed them quite immensely. Um, I, you know, people complaining about, like, some of the blowouts or whatever. I, game three was not a blowout. No. I, I'm, I mean, it was settled at the toward the end. It was, a, it was, it was a, uh, maybe half a blowout, but I, I thought that it was a, it was a pretty – back and forth game once the Warriors closed the gap. And then, you know, obviously Boston just sealed the deal at the end. But I wouldn't call that a blowout. I mean, I do wonder, like, credit, like first of all, credit to Boston for spawning the third quarter. But how much of the closeness of the game was a seven-point possession? And that was I mean, capped by, you know, Curry hitting a three while getting fouled. It's a tough shot. And then the three that Porter hit after the flagrant. Like, it's like, open your eyes, buddy. Um, so I you do wonder, like, and you know, those, this, this all counts, but it was like just sort of a, 
you know, you're not really counting on a 7-0 run in 20 seconds to make it a close game. You know what? With the Warriors set, anything's possible, my friend. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, maybe not 20 seconds, but a 9-0 run in three possessions is always in play yeah. with them in, yeah. in, in the past. So it's not too too wild in that. Now, you know, Somewhat there's the details <laughs> of those things, but still, man, it was a fun game. It was a fun, fun game, at least I thought. I, I forget it. I have, oh. and I mean, I look. No, I go forget ahead, who ahead. it was, but there was like because of the different way people are watching it and like the people in the arena were way ahead of the people watching it on cable who are way ahead of the people watching it on streaming. And so someone was saying like, I have like three different timelines, but you know the Warriors are on a, on a run if all three of them are about Steph. Right. So, <laughs> it's about right. Well, uh, let, let's jump right in, guys. We were, we were talking pre-show about our show last week after game one and um, – we pretty much could just drop the majority of what we said there into here following game three, right? Like I, I, I want to ask the big question up front because Mo, you were, you were adamant about this last week. You felt like Boston after one game had a pretty clear coaching advantage. And, and of course one game, small sample, but three games, how do you feel? I feel even more convicted in that stance and in, in, in that sense of just, Ime's pushed the buttons perfectly in this series with his guys. I mean, there's some stuff here and there. We, we're we're going to get into some of the strategy stuff where I'm like, huh. And I think everybody can guess that before we get to it. But the ultimate thing is, you know, some of it has been Kerr in the rotations he's doing. Like, I'm not a fan of them going small so quickly and being happy playing small. Like, it's I'm shocked Kevon Looney played only 17 minutes in 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 game three and it wasn't like he was that bad but it's just a matter of like yo we're gonna they're gonna play small and i'm like the other team has the better small ball lineup the other team has what you were six seven years ago however long that was you now need to play big and i think you can play big against that small lineup and i just don't think you know that kerr's willing to do it and i think the thing is yudoka's he's gonna get out of stuff quickly and that's something that's usually like a hallmark for me with with a lot of coaches and that's something we don't we're not seeing with Kerr. And he stopped well, Robert Williams looking better, I think, has allowed Udoka to go away from Daniel Tice completely. I, I don't I, I doubt we're gonna see him for the rest of the series, right? Like he didn't play at all, Seth. Yeah, no, I mean I I think the biggest part of that is you say Robert Williams being being healthier. Um, but I that was definitely both the benefit of Robert Williams being everywhere and not having to to have Tice out there. I think really did help them. Mike Tice is Tice is a is a good solid player, but he does not present the same physicality problems to the Warriors that any of the other guys Boston is using at the 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 five the five and the four between the Williamses and and, and Orford do. And I think that you know in that way he's very exploitable. It, it, my thing with Tice, Dave, was. I never thought Tice was going to play beyond game two. I felt like it was almost a, hey, like a bullpen game in baseball. Like, let's just get some minutes here to get everybody a little bit more rest. And then, you know, hopefully we won't have to use him. And you're right. I don't think we'll see him again. If he's playing, it's going to be because Williams just can't go for whatever reason. Yeah, or some garbage time. Um, is there is there anything else that stands out to you guys just kind of general before we get into actual on-court strategy as far as Udoka goes because I actually think his tone has been good with his team. I don't, I don't know if you noticed, but body language is great. Uh, they, some of the practice footage came out 
from a very loose looking practice. It feels like the vibe, like the vibes on this team are really good. And it's, it's funny to say that because what, six months ago we were talking about the vibes being so awful. And he just flipped it's, this it's thing around. It's funny because the, it's, it's one of those things that if thing, the, the exact same thing, like is so differently perceived now, like, I think we can now, having seen him both when they're up and they're down, say that he has a very no bullshit style. Um, and when they were playing badly, it's, it was like, oh, first year coach lighting his team up in the media. I don't know about that. But instead, it was, he was just like, this is this is what happened. You know, that's what happened. If you want to take it to that and run with it, I don't care. But And he's doing the same thing when, when, when they're winning now. And I think that that sort of steadiness is probably a big part of why they were able to weather playing not well for two months at the start of the season and, you know, turn this around. I, I mean, it's just his, his whole demeanor in the sense of, I'm going to just tell you like it is, you know, the, the timeout or in between quarters in game one, where he's yelling at the guys going like, they're punking you they're They are coming at you right now. Is that how you want to go out? Like when not a lot of the coaches are going to say that to uh, their guys in a timeout. And I think there was just, you know, he's constantly challenged them throughout the entire year, even when it was going poorly. So it's it's kind of a, a, a refreshing to see that he stuck to his guns and how he coaches. And he got it. And and it's something I've said a long time ago about some coaches of like, you're going to get fired at some point or at one point or another. So go out your way. And he was willing to do it. And even when people were calling for his head in game, you know, or early in the season, it's it's now they're, they're they're praising him. It's 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 a fun turnaround for him, but he never changed. Yeah, we we've seen him say worse than he said on the sideline during any of these games in the post game. Right. I mean, I, like he's called every, just about every player on that roster soft. I mean, it, it's it's very. Um, I mean, it, it's a pop move, right? Like he's kind of. It's the same. There's no BS. Everyone's gonna get coached whether they want to or not, uh, but it doesn't seem like anyone's resistance. So, um, you know, good for Udoku. He looks great. And uh, the series is going well for him. It's, I, you know, there there is a point to be made about, you know, recent ex-players having some credibility here. And, you know, especially someone who is, um, I mean, if we, you, I, I, I imagine you guys have heard the story of like, like the, the altercations that when he was with the Nigerian national team, where he would like hold off a whole arena single-handedly and stuff. So someone who, who can handle themselves, like probably has, has a little bit of an ability to say things very matter of factly and have it stick that. Yeah. A lo- yeah. Well, Paul Bunyan, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also I like it. Man. He's also been around for a long time. When you just look at the fact, like he he came in he came into the league as a ten day, like he's literally had to scrap for every little morsel he's had to do, you know, get in the NBA and then work his way through the coaching ranks as an assistant all the way up and you know bounced around a little bit and things like that. Like I think it's interesting in in his background and stuff like that. He's literally seen the game through almost every lens as an NBA player. He's going to be able to relate top to bottom on that roster, and I think that's something that goes a long way with his style and and and, and his sort of being able to talk to these guys. Well, let's jump into Boston's strategy here, and I want to start on the defensive end with what's working for them. It seems like the the physicality is the key to everything for them. In game two, they didn't have the same 
sort of force that they had in game one and game three, obviously. What was the difference that that you guys saw? I mean, I think the biggest difference, first of all, I don't think Golden State was nearly as aggressive physically in, in game three as they were in game two. And I don't think that's surprising for any number of reasons, but uh, it, it, it kind of almost like whipsawed back the other way. So that was part of it. And then just having like Robert Williams being much closer to right, like that's that is a, a dominant physical presence on the floor that, you know, he's out there. He's kind of there, but he he was his ability to move, to get up for rebounds, to get up for lobs, to get up for for blocks one of which may have been a goal 10 but we won't talk about that uh, um i think that is that sort of keys a lot of their ability to to play with that force is you know they can they have guys who can play with but if it's if it's you know him playing at that level of 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 power and horford and smart and you know the the, the wings then all of a sudden that's a that, that's just a different thing yeah, I mean, health. I mean, and Jalen Brown defending like Scottie Pippen doesn't hurt, Mo. Yeah, but you get to do that when you have an eraser behind you, right? And I think those it it, it all comes back to Robert Williams and their defense. And there are things about his defense that are a little sometimes like him going chasing the block too much sometimes, you know, and leaving a guy a shooter open in the corner or things like that. Those things tend to happen a little bit. But ultimately. I'm with Seth in terms of of that side of it, but Brown was awesome. Tatum was great. Like I really felt like everybody across the board, it, Derek White struggled a little bit, but you know everybody else for the most part, their heavy hitters all played great defensively in this game and all just kind of stepped up to the challenge. It was a, besides Rob Williams with his big block numbers. It was a big team effort defensively, I thought, with just how they handled things. You know, Seth, you were talking in the, the in our chat, you know, about the the smart switching out to Clay on a on a pin down and things like that. Like, there's a lot of great things that they're doing really well that they've done all through the year in terms of switching guys out and 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 scram switching and things like that. So I look at what they've done and I just go like, man, this is this is the Boston Celtics. This is the team we thought. You know, we were seeing and at the end of the season that we were like, yeah, they're probably going to win the championship. Okay, so they have played a ton of drop on Steph. Like he's getting a lot of threes that just we didn't expect them to give up. But then they go away in the fourth. I mean, is it just they can't maintain switching all game or or do you feel like they're playing too much drop, Mo? I mean, we, we've talked about this a lot. We talked about it in game one. The, the pickup points were way too low. You can't let Steph get there. Will they keep doing it? Um, is that a worry, you think, game four? like I'm terrified. Surely the, the role players will no, hit shots, right? I'm terrified. Every time they're in drop coverage against Steph, I'm just like, what are you doing? On the infamous seven-point play, you know, Horford's way deep in drop and not at the level of the screen. And part of the reason why he picks up the fouls, because he has to run out to Steph. This isn't a third year, four year player. This is a dude that's been doing this forever. Like I don't, I don't, of all the things, like they've done everything right. This is the one thing where I look at it going like you are playing with fire with this and there it's, you've gotten away with it for to some respects part of his clay hasn't shot the ball well until game three and even then when he had a shot in game three there was finally one play where Udoka was going nuts and yelling at robert williams for not being up on the screen but for me it's just it's kind of funny to me that that's how they're playing it and i look at it going like look to be honest when we look at the the, the guys they're playing like how much offensive firepower is there 
like why are you playing this and dropping giving up these shots to Steph? Like you can knock out you can take Steph out and make these games a lot easier. You know, I feel like they should be blitzing a little bit more and they've put two on the ball, but they haven't blitzed, which is the big difference to me. So I, I agree that when they have put two on the ball pretty aggressively, it has has looked good. I will say, and someone pointed, I think it was uh, the, the Twitter account, Half Court Hoops, pointed this out last night, and I thought it was a good observation. It's a lot of the situations where they were sort of caught in drop weren't like the initial action. It would be like a pick and roll and then a, then a hand back. And against like, a, you know, guarding like if Horford was guarding like Otto Porter or something like that. And that's that's I mean, you know, that sort of matchup is a little tougher because the guy's just more mobile can set the screen. And that leads me to my next point, which is there's a little bit of the trade off they're getting of being caught in those situations. They had like a 40 percent offensive rebound rate last night. So I asked the question, like, how many Steph threes is that worth to, you know, so, you know, there, there is a little bit of a, you know, if you are playing two bigs, you're going to get caught in some, some tough pick and roll matchups against Steph. That's going to happen, but you're making the bet that you win by enough on the other end and, you know, shutting down the paint yourself that it, that it's worth it. But they weren't playing two bigs a lot in those drops, mm-hmm. even in those instances. And, and, and their 40% rebound rate, which was freaking absurd was still when they went small and we'll get to, you know, and that was also because the Warriors were small. I think the, the, the aspect of it and, and half court hoops is right in that sense of like, it was other actions, but at the start of every action, it was especially Horford was already inside the three point line. It doesn't matter. You're done. It doesn't matter if he goes off the first action or the second action. Cause basically the one player we're talking about where Otto Porter was, he starts low. He comes off of Porter White comes over the top, and now all he has to do is beat White over Porter on the rescreen because Horford's so far back, it's daylight, and that's where he gets that look. And I think those are the things with with, with just starting off so far back, it's it's a it's a massive problem with how they're doing things. And I I, I think that's the stuff I'm like, man, this is it's it's just wild to me. It's working, so I'm yeah. an idiot and an asshole for bringing it up. But it's like they're winning games, so I can't say anything. But I'm almost like, ah. Let me ask a question. I'm not sure I believe this. I just like it's worth asking. So the two games where there's been like fourth quarter play of note, I think Steph has, has tired in the fourth quarter. And is there an aspect of like, okay, yes, he can get, you know, if he's, if it's, you know, uh, pick and roll, pitch back, dribble handoff, sprint around, shoot a pull up. Like that's – that's not that's not that's demanding. And so I'm wondering if like, all right, well, if they've got to do all that, okay, do that for four quarters and then and, and not not gas out. And I just wonder if there's an element of that also, or if that's just sort of a um a lucky happenstance for Boston, or I'm just completely full of shit. Well, you're that's a rope dope, right? Just <laughs> let him wear himself out so he doesn't have anything at the end. But I actually think it's it's Rob Williams. I think Rob Williams is the difference. It, they are owning the paint defensively. The Warriors are not finishing at the rim well. Even on open stuff, they're not. I mean, Robert Williams is really the the X factor in this series. I mean, I guess Jalen Brown is likely, you know, if we if we care about this, going to win finals MVP. But Rob Williams has been the biggest impact player, I, I think, the swing piece in, in the series. And his defense, and especially inside – has been the big difference maker. You, just, you got warriors are settling often. I well, think it's not even that. It's it's you got to watch for it. it. 
you know, you got to watch for him. And if he, if he's there, they end up kicking it out. And there have been a couple of game in a couple of games where Curry will go up for a, a, a layup and not realize that Rob Williams is coming from the weak side and 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 rejecting the shot and things like that. I think there's a lot of that stuff in terms of the paint. But to Seth's point and question of like how tired, you know, is, is Curry gassing or or, or or whatnot? I think that's definitely a fair assessment and part of that is because pool's been so bad it's not like you've been able to kind of give curry a lot of rest in in that instance but i also say this tough shit it's the finals it's the finals it's supposed to be hard right like this is it this is the thing like you're you gotta go and that's the thing and you gotta find that extra gear and and you know we never let other guys off the hook with 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 being tired by the way i think steph's been spectacular but like i think there's a, a an element of like you know, if he's going to get gas, he's going to get gas. But I'd rather him be out there trying with everything he's got. And I think they've gotten hurt in those minutes that he's sat at the end of the third quarter in this one, at the uh, start of the fourth quarter in game one. Like, I feel like those things really have hurt them. And a lot of that is just looking at Jordan Poole going like, dude, you going to do something? Not when we're up 15 or 16? Well, I, so I want, but I, there's a, you know, you, and you're right. I, I, I am not like this is not sort of excuse making for Steph. I'm just like yeah. like from a strategic standpoint, like there's been a lot of times where Boston has been sort of okay if Grant Williams ends up on on Steph or if, if Rob Williams ends up on on Steph and stuff like that. And yeah, he's gotten Steph has gotten some shots off and he's made some shots. He had a pretty tough step back over Grant Williams. But those are like you know we've we've talked a lot this season about hard miles. And though those that those are hard miles on Steph, like yeah, he'll get a shot, but he's got to work. And I and I just like you know it's it's you know the body blows theory, right? It's it's the same thing people have done to Luca, frankly, in in the playoffs at times. And so I, I I don't know if that's just how it's working out or if there's some intentionality to all right, he'll have some advantage, but he's gonna we're, we've got guys who are good enough in those switch that he has to work, and we think if he has to the- work for four quarters. It's advantage us. The, 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 reason, the reason where I think it's a bigger issue, because I don't think it's a problem on offense. This is how the dude plays. Like, this is just what he does. It's the fact that they're able to go at him defensively. And he has to guard defensively. And there's nowhere where he can hide, where he can truly hide on the other end of the court. Because they're putting him in every – Al Horford had two post-ups on him yesterday. I mean, like, it's, it's, there's nowhere he can go. Well, Marcus Marcus Smart was playing well, that's a bully perfect ball. two. Yeah, busted him. That's a – Perfect time for me to throw in a break, and we'll talk about Boston's offensive strategy right after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. From the Mercury News, just what was your reaction to the crowd's chants that were directed to you throughout the game? Man, they're just talking. Uh, 
not really my job to react to them. So they did what I expected. Marcus, back right. It's Thompson the Athletic. Vermont, how do you how do you feel you played? Like shit. What was the difference this game? Uh I just think I never found a rhythm. Um, really on both ends of the floor. So uh, not enough force, but just gotta find a rhythm quicker. Anthony on the right. The athletic. Uh, they had 15 offensive rebounds. Uh, you guys have protected the glass really well. You know, pretty much all playoffs. What do you think was the issue on the glass? Uh, yeah, I think that's just a force thing. Um, you know, then once you get comfortable, you establish that presence. Then the ball just kind of finds you. You know, you get, you, you start to get the bounces and the breaks. So, uh, just gotta start the game off better. Bleacher Report. Um, Draymond, I'm not saying it's why you struggled tonight by any means, but I found listening to your podcast recaps the last couple of games pretty interesting. Are you conscious at all of what you're saying about the X's and O's, the game plans, the adjustments could be making their way back to Boston staffers and influencing their decision making at all? No. Um... I don't say much different on the podcast than I say to you right here. So, nah. What's the X's and O's that I said on the podcast? He actually asked me. The only little thing I, I noticed that really stood out was you talked about how to cover White, Smart, and Horford differently between games one and two. That was really only. Oh, yeah, that was just contested shots. That, if that's X's and O's, then I don't. You reaching for something, it's all good, though. Keep going. <laughs> reaching heavy. The only thing. You find that they are taking X's and O's away from your your podcast. Uh, well, the only thing you said is um, White, Smart, and Horford. Okay, guys, let's talk Boston offense. Uh, the beginning of these games, it's pretty obvious that they're they're looking to attack the basket to get that driving kick game going. The difference, I, I think, in the game, Jalen Brown's first quarter. In game three, guys, it was just they that was a problem they're having. So they from the off, they sort of looked and said, Okay, if it's not Andrew Wiggins, none of these guys can stay in front of you, Jalen Brown. So back it out. Everyone else spread out and just like dribble really fast, and they can't stay in front of you. And and then he did that and he did that while also being aware of where help was coming from. So he was able either able to get to the basket and finish or kick, but they made a very intentional to effort to give him space and a runway starting like out closer to half court to, to really attack that, to almost uh, not allow that physicality to that, that worked in game two to come into play. The, the more interesting thing, what I found about this game in particular, this one was, they attacked the, the rim in a way we hadn't seen in the two games. And that was a big thing. And that was, you know, in, uh, it's a one more thing. It's literally just popped on before we started recording. I, I got it out. The Celtics in the first two games of the series had 18 shot attempts and fouls at the rim. And these are numbers per cleaning the glass. So I, I trust them more than, more than uh, anywhere else I can get them. And, in game three alone, they had 31. 
Well, that's just a wild number in that sense. Like, you know, they had five in game two. In game three, they had 31. And there was an emphasis. You can tell it was very clear of we're getting to the rim. Everything will start and stop with us getting to the rim. And they were unbelievably relentless in how they did it from everything you said about Jalen Brown to Tatum to smart to like all these dudes just kept driving. And from there, they were able to find the kickouts. It was, it was really impressive. And it was just as impressive as my voice kind of uh, cracking right there. <laughs> well, no, Van Gundy Go made ahead, the Seth. point last night that, that Tatum was yeah, like actually going to the basket to score instead of like going near the basket and trying to get, get fouled. And, you know, he, Probably an area, like one of the areas that he probably still has to improve is his finishing through contact, but he did a much better job of that last night. And that sort of compounds in the fact that when he does those flybys trying to draw a foul, he ends up sprawled on the baseline and or waving his arms at the ref and we go the other way. And so that was just happening less because he was, you know, he was extending towards the basket and finishing instead of trying to extend around and flail for a foul. Yeah, I mean, that's a problem with a lot of these dudes that foul hunt all the time. They go so hard to try to foul hunt, they end up not, <laughs> not getting the foul or being any position to make a layup. Like, I think that's kind of the funny thing about the foul hunting. And that's a great point of Tatum. Like, he's, when he does that, big difference. Figure now is a great time to talk about some of the potential adjustments for the Warriors. Um, some of these are just really obvious. Go play now. You can go play the tape from game one. Really, it just seems the successes from game two should have been repeatable in game three, right, Mo? I mean, the successes from game two should have been repeatable in game three, right, Mo? I mean, Kevon Looney only played six minutes in the second half of game three, and I just can't. Even when Draymond fouled out, Andre Iguodala, who hadn't played the entire game, was out there. I I was looking for some kind of a report that Kavon Looney was injured. Yeah, it was weird. And it's, you know, it's at the point now where we're going to have to start looking at, at, you know, Kerr going like, man, what's the fascination with, with Iguodala at this point? Like I get it, but at this point, dude's old, you know, and it's, it's, it, it didn't make a lot of sense. And just to kind of put it out there in 17 minutes, Looney had seven rebounds, three of them offensive. In a night when you're getting crushed on the boards, that dude needs to be playing 30 minutes. It's not really a, a, a debate to me. Like, that dude needs to play. You want to talk about the offense? Listen, the offense sucks when you play small because they're not guarding everybody. At least Looney in the dunker spot is a is a threat, if not to get a, a, a layup or a dunk, to get an offensive rebound. I feel like they're just kind of leaving that stuff out there and it's just I'm watching it going like man like this just doesn't make sense to me and trying to match up with the Celtics small when their small ball lineup is a lot bigger than your small ball lineup which is what it used to be the other way around you're 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 kind of falling into the trap here and I think that's something when I look at Kerr going like man if you're not going to play Looney 30 minutes a game the Warriors have problems he also sets the best screens for Steph and like everything we were talking about earlier about like Steph having to work hard to, you know, work around multiple ball screens. If Looney just plasters a guy and he can step into one, that's, that's like a, just a much lower effort play for him than having to, you know, sprint around the same screen four times. Well, and if we could swing the podcast tape back pre trade deadline, I'm sure we could find a rant from each of us about this Warriors team and their need for what? 
What sort of depth does this team? I mean, just glaring weakness. Well, we, I mean, it was, we were pointing it more looking at like, okay, you're going to, you're going to run into the Suns in the conference finals. You, you like just Looney is all you have for Aiden. That could be a problem if you're getting the aggressive version of Aiden. And also looking ahead to the finals, you've got Giannis, you've got Embiid. Okay. They didn't play any of those guys, but uh, Boston's, you know, the, the size and force Boston's playing with is presenting a similar category, if not the same exact type of problems. And they're, and the fact that Looney is their only legit big is hurting them. I, 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 I was screaming the same thing with you guys. I also just kind of hindsight now looking at it too. I mean, hell, making a run at trying to get Robert Covington would have helped. You know, just in the sense of you're going to play small, you'll at least have a decent sized small ball lineup. In that instance, like there was just it's just a lot of stuff when I'm watching them now. I just think like it's not something they got. I don't think they're uh, uh, I think they just they, they missed the opportunity there, you know, and, and I wouldn't have wanted to mortgage the future. I like Kaminga. I think he's going to be really good and fun. But like I would have tr- at least tried to find something somewhere in terms of size that would have just helped it would have made a big difference right now if you're not gonna play him right now then then that makes me think that you should have like this this series is kind of no this series is kind of you know the guy on their roster who has kind of the 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 bounce and physicality that that maybe you know that Otto porter doesn't at this point in his career that andre Iguodala certainly doesn't at this point in his career that nemanja bielitsa doesn't have like it's it's Kuminga and and like I'm surprised that we haven't he hasn't gotten a look yet, um, and I I'm not sure we will see it because you know he's a rookie and blah blah blah. But just looking at what they need and looking at their roster, I mean honestly though, like why not? You need athleticism at this point. Yeah, it's gonna hurt, you know. But it, it, okay, Moses Moody, something you need more athleticism on the floor right now. I think this is something I think you have to kind of really start to look at now is it an ideal situation no but neither is being down two to one in the nba finals right you're you're scrambling at this point you know i don't feel like when you look at the what jordan Poole has given you in these in these finals i don't know if you can just like this just doesn't seem like a jordan Poole series to me you know and if he's not going to step up when steph's on the on the floor you can't play him with steph at the same time you can't play him steph and clay at the same time like you're really kind of running out of options here you're gonna have to give these young guys a a, a shot here i think i think it's something you're gonna have to give them a few minutes at least and see what happens well at least they can defend right like jordan Poole, he's not giving you much on the offensive end and he just i mean he's a turnstile on the other end and when steph was in foul trouble steph wasn't much better you know, and you can't, you just can't have that many guys out there that are a target for this Boston offense. I want to talk about Draymond. This was a weird game. The uh, game three, I mean, game two was an all timer. I thought he was spectacular in game two and game three. It just wasn't there. And he said after the game that he felt like he played soft. And that's funny because there's one play where I swear he fouled Jalen Brown six times. I actually thought he played out of control was the problem. He like went too far, if that makes sense. He's at his best when he's riding that edge between, you know, the fine line where it's fun or mean. I don't know which it is, but I know it's productive. Does that make sense? He 
No, that and I think that some of that goes down to Boston very consciously like giving themselves more space to attack him. So he like in game two, so much of what he did was like there was action in a tight space. And so he could hit like four guys in two seconds and it all kind of be obscured. Where, you know, when with when Jay, when Brown is like backing out to half court and then getting a running start at him, Draymond can't like Jalen Brown is an elite NBA athlete and Draymond Green at this point in his career can't stay in front of that when if he's got a head of steam. And so they kind of, you know, they changed it from a pure strength game to at least in that matchup, a speed game. And that like, you know, the physicality that Draymond wanted to play with. Now it's kind of, it's like, you know, the cartoon where like the, you know, the giant swings and the Bugs Bunny runs between his legs and stuff like that. That's, it it was, it became almost like that. Yeah. And I think the, I think Draymond got caught up in his antics and the noise afterwards of game two. I think the noise afterwards is really kind of what, what sort of for two days the story of Draymond and you know how he's officiated and I'm so smart I can get you know I know I can after the first technical they're not going to throw me out and all of those I think he got caught up in that and I think that really kind of had him a little bit flustered and once things started to kind of go wrong I think it it it, it led to kind of a spiraling out of control like you know. He had a foul. It wasn't even called, but like he just threw Jason Tatum out of the way off of a free throw rebound. Like it was, it was just kind of like, okay, like this, this is, it's your guys' wrestling. It was like, this is a WWE type thing or AEW or whatever QXT or whatever you guys watch. It's, it's along those things. And it's, he just felt like, I just think he got caught up too much in that whole thing. And now, you know, and now it's the narrative of is this podcast hurting or whatnot. It's all of this stuff. And I think it's uh, he needs to just get back to playing like, yeah, let's just play basketball. I do want to ask just like if you're Steve Kerr, okay, how do you approach this to pull him back? Because I think that, again, this is the, the straw that stirs the drink for them. Draymond Green is one of the most important players to to the dynasty. I mean, it's him and Steph Curry, I think. Clay is is there, but he's you know, in the second or third slot, Draymond is super important. How are, does Kerr, are you calling Clay Ringo? I mean, okay, but he, he's got good rhythm. Hey, Ringo is my favorite Beatles, so I don't think that's a, that's an insult. All right, we're what, talking you know, about Beatles but, now. Like what? <laughs> apparently, yeah. Uh, but but how does Kerr? How do you bring him back, man? Like because it, this was clearly, I mean, this was bad. And then I actually did not didn't love the energy in the post game at all because it felt very it just very defensive so you know if you're steve Kerr, what are you guys saying to, to draymond to try to bring him back down to earth at halftime one of the players went on a profanity lace tirade i did not hear what precipitated it but he was yelling so loudly that i could hear everything that he was saying i think that it was draymond green he was yelling and screaming i am not a robot 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 I am not a robot. I am not a robot. <laughs> I mean, if I'm Kerr, I mean, Kerr knows how to handle him better than anybody else in the NBA. There's nothing we're going to come up with it, with any sort of gold here that Kerr doesn't already know. Like, Kerr knows one to 
chime in and whatnot too and and all of those things i just think he's i think he just has to either just have a conversation of like hey man you good like you good you okay? could just play looney more right like, like let's just no, maybe that one big lineup is looney and not draymond no i wanted to play draymond and looney together because i think that works for them i think that works for them when they do that i think the, the mistake is but you know draymond's also got to be under control and I think that's just got to be the conversation of just like, hey, man, what's going on? I think it's something like as simple as that. We're, we've talked a lot about sort of Draymond's defense and sort of his like like approach and um, that those are almost side issues to me. The bigger one is what he's not giving them on offense. And, and this was a little bit like there was a number of times like game one where the ball would find him wide open and he would sprint dribble at the basket and nobody would care. And so all it is is burning clock and creating congestion. And for a while, I was actually surprised by, you know, Boston actually had Tatum on him a lot. And then like Tatum was basically, you know, playing the free safety role because like we don't care what this guy does. So we're going to have our, you know, our, our athletic lengthy smart guy run around and and bother everything and um i you know all the other stuff almost doesn't matter if he can't give them something it doesn't need to be scoring it just needs to be some kind of a thing that the defense has to react to him what like there are plays where he gets the ball and like he gets the ball wide open in the corner and marcus smart is the next guy to close out and he's not closing out to draymond he's closing out to where draymond is going to hand the ball Right, like to the guy who's gonna come to come get a handoff. Not even like he's closing out like th- three feet to the right of Draymond because he knows that's the only place the threat is. When this goes back to your your you know theory of of Steph kind of running out of gas. Well, look at how much he's having to work because Draymond will pick up his dribble, and now all the action has to happen around him. He's not a threat to shoot at all. I mean, they, they're. If if Boston forces Draymond to shoot a three, that is a victory. I mean, Every I, I feel time. bad for the backboard and the rim. I mean, this, if he the, hits the, the, it. The sound, no, the sound, it, it, it sounds worse than Victor Oladipo's shots, man. Like the way it hits the rim every time, I feel like something broken there. It's just, I, I, I just don't know what happened to Draymond's offensive game in the last year. Cause it's almost like he's not that interested. He's interested in creating for others, which is awesome, but he's not understanding that he also needs to create, needs to be a threat to score. Cause that way forces the openings to make those passes it's gotten to the is it, is it a little ben simmons oh a, a little bit a little bit like for sure i think that's definitely part of it but it's 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 a level of just his his hesitancy is really what's hurting them and so we saw it in the memphis series a lot he would catch it in the lane and wouldn't even look to score would look to try to see if the dump off pass was there if not then he was looking to kick it out when it was like yo you need to shoot the floater it's right there and he's I'm fascinated to to see or hear what happened to his offense. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to make some predictions. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers. 
that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash show 23 and get started. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. that kind of rush of anxiety i felt like and it took us a game two games to really you know settle in yeah um you know to the series and say okay this is this is basketball you know we we just you know we got to play our game and game plan and you know execute just like we've done in the other series but there's it's another level once you go to the finals Right. So do you pass that along to a guy like Jordan Poole who's in his first finals and say, yo, it's going to be like that. Just just don't trip off of it. Just play through it. Absolutely. It's uh, my expression to him at the beginning of the year before he kind of, you know, started off on this this third year was not too high, not too low. Right? It's like, man, I have to try to stay even kilter. There's too many games. There's too many emotions. There's uh, a lot of distractions, especially at this time of year. This is just what this is. This whole machine and this whole game is kind of evolved into. So um, you have to kind of stay centered as possible. Okay, guys, uh, we might be finished with the finals before we record again. And I, it's funny that we're we're already here, but are we gonna go seven or is this gonna be? Is it gonna be five? Oh, what do you guys think? Who, is, who's winning the series now that we've seen three games? Who's gonna win the series and how many games, guys? We we should be careful here because we shat on the, the the Warriors this entire podcast, and it's it's I think it's still kind of silly in that sense. Like I think their their ability to come back. I mean, look at the fact that they did come back and take a lead in this game. And listen, the, the Celtics won on a run, but some of that was a Marcus Smart three, a Marcus Smart banked three, and things like that. It was a uh, we don't acknowledge those. Okay, fine. It was an, <laughs> it was an eight point game with seven fifty left. The Warriors get a stop, 
and Andrew Wiggins throws the ball out of bounds when he's trying to hit Steph Curry, who was going to be wide open for a transition three. He knocks that down. It's a five-point game with 7.50 left. It's a different story now, right? Like, I think we've... We, we, we are hammering the Warriors. And at the same time, I'm just going to say, at the very least, I predict the Warriors to win game four. I think this is going to be a seven-game series. I think this thing's still going to go uh, the distance. I think this is going to be a ping-pong match in those in those areas. And I think that's yeah, – I, I don't know who's going to win game seven. I picked the Warriors in seven, but I think we're going seven. I'll be shocked, Dave, if this – I'll be shocked if this thing goes five. We also have to acknowledge that, you know, for a game they ended up winning comfortably, Boston had two separate periods of that thing they've done all playoffs where they have five possessions of just crazy. And it's not just bad shots. It's bad process. It's bad passes. It's, it's you know, giving up layups the other way. Like there was a, a, um, a, a play where like Andrew Wiggins just like like picked – uh, Tatum bringing the ball to the floor from behind and ran out for a layup. And that's where these, like the, the plays where Tatum flies out of bounds, doesn't get back and they give up a three or a layup or, or they hold the ball at the top of the key for 18 seconds and then get into some, get, get into, get into some nothing. We have to accept at this point that that's who bought this Boston team is right now. Maybe it's, you know, is it, is it the lack of a pure point guard? I don't know, but they're going to do this. So there's going to be opportunities for Golden State to string together. And Golden State's as good as any team we've seen over the last however long at doing this, string together that 9-0 run in 50 seconds. Like they're going to have multiple opportunities every game to do that. Or 7-0 run in one possession. Um, yes, exactly. the, <laughs> no, I, I I think we did. We've, we've hammered it pretty hard. But again, I just think like, there were positive stuff there. Clay getting going in the final three quarters. You know, now whether that's consistent or not, who knows? We haven't had a lot of consistent back-to-back games from Clay, but it's a good sign. I'd rather that than him continuing to suck, which is what he had for the first two games. And I think there's there were positive flashes of lights. Like they got some good minutes from Andrew Wiggins in the first half. I thought, you know, and and, and kind of keeping them somewhat in striking distance. Draymond's going to play better. I don't I'm not ready to give up on Draymond in this sense. Like he's gonna play better, especially defensively, I think. I think ultimately they're they're right in the mix of this. Like we're gonna be a lot of people are gonna write them off because we did the same thing after game one. I think they're right there. I don't think this is gonna be a a, a very far spread and set the so I just can't trust the Celtics offense. They still do enough dumb stuff that like I'm like, guys, what are you doing? <laughs> like, why are and, we throwing this away? And it's dumb stuff that doesn't just take points off the board for them. It puts points on the board the other way. Every time. It almost. makes it doubly bit. Uh, you, you said something there about like Clay and back-to-back games. I want to talk about Rob Williams and back-to-back games. One game, out, one game off between – like we, we, we've talked a lot about how him being spring-loaded was a pretty big key to that game. I, I, I think there's going to be something I think we're all going to watch very carefully – at the start of game four is if he is, if he's moving that well again. And, you know, I, you know, we're not, we're not doctors and we're not in the room, but you I have stayed to in at least Holiday acknowledge. Inn Express. There you I, go. I, here's the thing. I, I think he starts out every game looking a little stiff, to be honest with you. It, it takes him a minute to get, to get loose. Uh, I've noticed, but by the end of game three, I mean, he was everywhere at the end of game three. And if, if, 
if he can continue that and with the short rest, if he if he comes out of the gate and looks good, I'll just I'm, I think he's the most important piece out there. I'm willing to just take a guess that that knee is sore as hell right now. Got it. And 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 and, and again, like the th- this game being no, just one day rest in between, it's it's good. We're we I think we'll see something on Friday. In terms of that, and it's not a shot at anybody's shirts. <laughs> like, it's yeah. that simple. And, well, you know, it's just like I think the key, the key is that the Warriors need to put pressure on the rim. And if they can get pressure on the rim and make him work a little bit more, especially with the short rest, they can take advantage of, of the, you know, the advantage that's there. But I just refuse to believe that they're going to do it consistently. They need to get him in off-ball Who? actions so that he can't Who? rotate over to the rim. Who pressures the rim on Golden State other than Steph, though? I mean, when Wiggins Steph, occasionally, one, Wiggins like, occasionally, yeah. one, one, one right clay will, you know, like clay will go in there and he'll try to get a dunk on you or something like, you know, Wiggins as well and things like that. But it's just, again, this is, it's unfair because clay hasn't played in two years. Right. And this is stuff we've been screaming all year, but like, these are the, those are the guys, you know, cause it's not Draymond, you know, uh, Looney from the dunker spot could be dangerous, but again, if you're not going to play him, what's the point? It'll be it'll be really fascinating to see what Kerr does with his rotations because I think he's I I think he's got to play Looney more and I think he's got to give the young kids a little bit of a a, a run here just for the athleticism. Yeah, I think uh, I think the series is going to go seven. I think it's going to go seven and it's a toss up then. But Seth, are you feeling the same or you, you, you may have noticed I, I I didn't make a prediction and I'll keep. It yeah, up. no, uh, <laughs> just I, I hate know. predictions too. Yeah, yeah it feels like, I like it just that feels you like this is even. Dry, Thank you. Great team. It's such a close. <laughs> it's such a close series, and I, I, the entire time with Boston, the thing that I come back to is how much do they do we trust them to trust their offense? Right. I mean, this is the this is the story of the Boston Celtics. So if they'll trust their offense and continue to get into stuff fast and not make the the dumb mistakes that that they tend to make on offense when things aren't going well or when things are going too well for them and they slow things down. Or do they, they can throw, win it in six. Or do they throw crazy alley oops when they could like. Oh, I love that. If Jalen Brown had gotten to that alley oop, it would have been one of the highlights of the NBA Finals of all time. It I been almost, amazing. I almost, for hubris purposes, was like, now the Warriors have to win. <laughs> hubris. All right, we we're getting off the rails. All right, time to wrap it up. Uh, that's gonna do it for this week, folks. For Seth Part now and Moda Keel, I'm Dave DeFord. This has been Nerder. She wrote. On the Athletic NBA show. Thanks for listening. Go watch one more thing. Please go watch one more thing. <laughs>